it is a cloudy, wet, potentially snowy later today, day, tonight, if we're so lucky. Uh, I have very mixed feelings on that, but we're here. And today, we have the opportunity to open God's Word together, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Uh, Chris and Jonna are gone this week leading worship uh, for the marriage retreat, so I encourage you and invite you to be praying uh, for them as they wrap up uh, that weekend uh, today, uh, and then as they journey home. So that's where they're at today. So um, I'm filling in. I want to uh, take just a moment and remind us of the past two weeks Uh, that Chris has talked about. So for the past two weeks, if you've got your Bibles and you want to go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 13, that's where we'll be this morning, Acts chapter 13. The past two weeks, Chris has talked about the missional church, and he's talked about when the church is on mission. Now, I don't mean to put anybody on this spot, but we've talked about this for a length of time now. So if I say that the missional church, what is the mission of the church? Say it loud and proud. I heard it. To go and preach the gospel, to make disciples of the nations. That is the mission of the church. And and I I was reminded of this in an incredible way. Several weeks ago, we had the opportunity. We were visiting family uh, for a a holiday time. And and I heard somebody get up and, and preach. We visited another church while we were away. And I heard them talk about new the new year and the new vision. And, and I don't think that I'm saying what he said was wrong in and of itself. But it's like what we have talked about a lot in here. Is there a new gospel? No. There's no new gospel. We might start a new year and there's nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions and making all of these decisions to be a, a new... In fact, it's very biblical to be new, right? Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So there's nothing wrong with us being new, but then once we're a believer, we should be renewed in Christ, renewed in Christ. We're not necessarily coming up with a new gospel. So today I've simply titled this message, The Bold Gospel. And and this is following what Chris has talked about the past two weeks of the missional church. The missional church, when we're on the mission to go and to make disciples of the whole world, some things are going to happen, right? Some things are going to happen. And Last week, we read a story where, as the gospel is going forward, Scripture records this incredible event in the beginning of Acts chapter 13, where the gospel is being proclaimed. There's somebody that is willing, they're hearing the gospel, and they're willing to be changed, and immediately, what is the situation? There's opposition to the gospel, right? There's opposition. It's gonna, it is going to happen. For us as believers, so often, um, I, I grew up in a family that I heard my dad and multiple other people, we would gather together and we would pray a hedge of protection around us, right? Anybody heard that? Again, I'm, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I myself have prayed that prayer to, for God to protect people as they're traveling or whatever. There's nothing in and of itself that's wrong with that. But in the face of the gospel, opposition is going to come up. It's just going to happen. So when I say that today is the bold gospel, please understand this. The gospel in and of itself is offensive. The gospel in and of itself is offensive to people. Scripture would say this, that 
the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being renewed, it's what? It's the power of salvation. It's the power of salvation. It's offensive, but there's power in the gospel. So we're going to read a length of, of verses today, okay? So please don't think, um, oh boy, we're going to be here until 2 o'clock. I'm saying 1.30. I guess I'll edit that a little bit. That laughter wasn't necessarily in favor of it. Um, business meeting, all in favor. No. Um, Acts chapter 13, the missional church, the bold gospel, as we see this go forward. Today, we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. We're going to read a lot of verses, so please bear with me as we read through these. I did not ask somebody to come up and read today because I felt like that was very unfair uh, to do that to someone. So you're welcome. I'll do it. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But when they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with, it up, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And when John was finishing his course, he said, Why do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him of no guilt, worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he spoke in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, 
He also says in another psalm, you will not let the Holy One see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe even if one tells it. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you and we recognize, God, that for many in this room, the gospel, the good news, we know it, we've heard it. I, I believe for many, if not most of us in this room, that we have, we have been called, repented of our sins, and trusted you. But Father, today we pray that the gospel, the gospel, the good news would be so big and so loud and so real in our life that this morning it would lead us to move. Instead of us just having the gospel and knowing the gospel, holding it as a treasure for ourselves, that, God, we would be willing to open it up and share it. God, I, I pray this morning that in, in this time, Lord, would you have the freedom to work and to move in our hearts and our lives. God, that you would speak into our hearts. God, that anything that the enemy would want to throw up to distract us, to discourage us or to turn us away from Hearing the gospel as real and as pure and as raw as it gets, God, that w that would be pushed aside. And in this time, God, that your name would be, your word teaches us that when the name of Jesus is lifted up, that you call people to salvation. And so this morning we pray, ask, and believe that salvation is. And so Lord, we just, morning, Lord, would you do in this, speak to our hearts and guide us. We, this is a length of passage and it's hard when you're going through a sermon series like this and you come to large passages. It's hard to, to really stop and to, to take on the whole context of this. And so I'm not going to re-preach what has been preached the past several weeks. And I, I'm going to try very hard to not jump forward too much into the future uh, passages. But all of this, remember, all of this is a beautiful passage from the Lord, right? The, the Lord has inspired this. And though, though much of the New Testament was penned by Paul, Paul is not the creator of this, right? Paul is not the one that is sitting here thinking this up and writing it down. He is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is working through Paul to pin this down. And so as we think about this, think about the gospel message, not as Paul is telling us the gospel, but as the creator of the world is sharing the good news with us. I want us to look briefly back at the beginning of, of chapter 13. And again, I don't, I don't want to go back too far and I don't want to make, um, I don't want to re-preach sermons that have been preached. They're, they're online if you want to go back and hear and catch up and I encourage you to do that. But in, in chapter 13, verse 2, there's a very important verse that I think we need to highlight and it says this, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them to. The, the thing that we need to remember and maybe be reminded of today is that the gospel is not something that we hear and we digest and then move on as normal. These are, when we see 
the church, the early church, and that's what Acts is, is it's, a, it's an illustration, it's a picture of what the early church of Jesus Christ looked like. What we see is we see them worshiping and fasting and diving into a deeper relationship with Jesus. What that tells me is that today what I need to do, what you need to do, is to worship and to fast and to dive in deeper with the Holy Spirit, asking the Lord to work and move in us. That's when we see the power of the church at work, right? Um, Acts 1.8, going back to the beginning, says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's where our power comes from. Our, our power, and, and please hear me, please hear me, the power is not in hearing the gospel. The power is in what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ coming, dying for our sins, beating death and the grave, and resurrecting to be seated at the right hand of the Father right now. We can hear that and it have no impact on us. When we are affected by the gospel, it's a head-on collision with the Holy Spirit. We are encountering the Holy Spirit. The power comes when the Holy Spirit comes on us, when the Holy Spirit invades our life. And that's the reason why when we look at the New Testament church, they weren't afraid to die because they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit that said, listen, Paul would say later, he would say for me to live as Christ, but for me to die is gain. He, he recognized we're in an earthly, temporal place here. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we are willing to be pushed and challenged. Can I just share with you this morning, I, I believe that the enemy is 100% okay with us filling this room today. I do. I believe that the enemy is perfectly okay with us coming in here, us worshiping, us being affected by the songs, and, and us having this brief encounter and this brief moment with the Lord. As long as when we leave this place, we're not different and changed. Fine. Come in here and have your weekly gathering. But when the enemy gets disrupted is when we move that outside of the walls of the building, whatever it is, and we become the church. That's when the enemy gets scared. Look at verse 3 of Acts chapter 13. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Again, what do we see? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're fasting. They're worshiping. They're gathering together. At the end of our service today, we're going to lay hands on Megan Ryan as they go to their next mission field. We are sending them directly to a mission field. But listen, do we not every one of us have a mission field? Every one of us has a mission field. Theirs just happens to be a long ways away. We're going we're gonna to lay hands on them and pray that God would bless them and protect them and keep them and use their ministry for the furtherance of the gospel. But we have that mission as well. And then jump down a few verses and look at Acts chapter 13 at the very end of, of verse 5. It says, and they had John to assist them. Now, I want to call attention to that and then put a pin in that because we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. They had John, now jump down and look at verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stopping, stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? That leads us to where I want us to get to today. Saul, who has been transformed radically, most of us would say that the transformation of Saul into Paul was one of the most radical 
of all of Scripture, right? It's recorded, we read it, we teach it, we preach it, we love it. But it's no different than the salvation of Jesus. The same power that saved Saul and turned Saul into Paul, who would become one of the greatest men of the Bible, as many of us would say. The same power that saved me. It's the same power that saves you when you're called into into a relationship with Jesus. Paul, being filled with the Spirit, stands up and he doesn't say, hey guys, listen, if you come to church and you sing and you worship, maybe get baptized, maybe serve on some sort of a missions team or go on trips, if you do all of these things, man, you are, you are living the life. That's not what he says. He confronts people with the gospel and he says, listen, you who are making crooked this straight path, I don't want to be told that. You're the one that is taking people and turning people off of the straight, narrow path toward salvation. You are turning them into something else. We have to be careful about this, right? We have to be careful that my life as a believer, when I wear the name disciple, follower of Jesus, Christian, whatever we want to call ourselves, when I do that, people are looking at me and I may be the only physical portion of the gospel that they see. Because some people are not going to pick this book up and read it. Some people aren't going to feel like they can enter into the doors of this place and come in here to hear the good news of the gospel. That's why we go, right? Because this holy huddle that we have in here, as great and as awesome as it is, and I love my church, and believe you me when I say I brag about East Point Church all the time because I love the church, the body that Jesus has assembled as East Point. I love this. But this is not the gospel, right? This is us coming together to be challenged, encouraged, filled with the Spirit so that we go and we live the gospel out. So we begin to see that unfold as we look into today's passage. Verse 13, Paul and his companions, they set sail for Paphos and they come to Perga. And John left them and return to Jerusalem. Now we will see in chapter 15 of, of Acts, we will see that this was not a pleasant departure. Okay, um, We will see that there is some disagreement uh, between Paul and Barnabas on whether or not John Mark should be invited to come. Now again, I don't want to jump too far ahead and I don't want to preach a future message as we'll get to that. But just understand this, even in the body of Christ, there's going to be disagreements on what the best way to do things. Paul and Barnabas didn't agree. They did not agree on whether John Mark was useful. Whatever John Mark did rubbed Paul the wrong way. Paul said, we don't need him. We don't need him. Barnabas said, he's useful. There's a clash. Even inside the body, there can be disagreements. But listen, there's hope. There's hope. John Mark is restored. Paul would later say, bring John Mark, for he is useful for the kingdom. There's reconciliation. There's redemption. There's there's hope. But there's going to be divisions inside of that. Keep reading. Look at what it says. Verse 14. They went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on this Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers... Of the synagogue, sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stands up, motions with his hand, and begins to speak. Now, again, coming in to hear, 
We're in the synagogue. We're having this great time. Hey, anybody got, a, anybody got a word of encouragement that they want to share? Stand up and say it. And here comes Paul standing up. And what would be the expectation of this? East Point Church, go get them. Go get them. Man, we are on fire for Jesus. We are living life to the fullest. We are seeing God do some incredible works. Keep up the good work. Right? Kind of the expectation. The expectation here is, hey, we're going to come together. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be challenged. But don't step on my toes. Be careful what you say. Be careful because there may be some people in here that get offended by the gospel. So we got to be really careful about that. Did, did Paul worry about that? Paul didn't worry about that, did he? Paul is not afraid to stand up and say what needs to be said. And, and guys, listen, in the church, what we've done is we've kind of made a habit of us coming together, and, as, and, and we, we, as East Point, we are really good at the encouragement and fellowship, right? I mean, if you don't believe that, church service ends, I don't really know what time it ends, but say it ends at noon, and at one o'clock, there's still a group of people in here talking. One of my favorite things about this church. I love it, right? Chris is literally coming in here, turning the lights off to get people to inch their way out the door, right? We are good at the encouragement part. We are good at the fellowship part. We are good at the let's hang out, let's build each other up. We're going to have a fellowship here in a few minutes. We're going to eat food and fellowship. And I fully expect that in that there will be a lot of encouraging conversations that take place, right? But do we not also need to be confronted with the reality of the gospel? And we'll see that in a few moments, the reality of the gospel. What we see first in this passage, to me, things that stood out, is we see an invitation to share. Paul gets the invite. If there's anybody that wants to say anything, stand up and share. Paul gets up, motions to the crowd. And I can just imagine this, right? Here's Paul. He's getting ready to stand up, and people kind of lean forward in their seat. What's Paul going to say? And look at what he says. So Paul stands up, motioning with his hand. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them all the land and the inheritance all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, when God had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. What we see here is Paul gets the invitation to share. And Paul stands up and he begins to give basically a history lesson. And that's what this passage in it, that we're looking at today is. It's kind of a history lesson. He starts with the Old Testament. He is, he is appealing to them, right? He is showing them this isn't something that just appeared. We're not just talking about Jesus who is experiencing a physical birth and then moving on from that point. He is establishing that this is in place. 
Going all the way back to Moses, bringing the people out. Moses suffering, and they would be very familiar with this. Moses suffering with people, putting up with the people. The people are on a high and low. Oh, yes, we want to follow Jesus. We're gonna, we see God do this incredible movement. God has parted the Red Seas. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to build an altar to worship the Lord. Then we're going to go, and something's not going to go our way, and we're going to say, Moses, what are you doing? Why did you bring us out here to let us die here? It was better when we were there. Moses puts up with them. Then all of a sudden, the people get this great idea. Oh, hey, you know what we need? We need more authority. We need more structure. So give us somebody to rule over us. Oh, you know what, though? They're coming in, and they're, they're telling us things we don't really want to hear. We really don't want to follow them. So we want somebody else. So they, they get removed. Somebody else comes into power. And he gets to this point of saying... When Saul gets removed and God places in David, and when David comes into being, he says, this is a man after my own heart. Now, I'll be honest with you. Me personally, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. David, a man after God's own heart. Man, you would think that scripture would record nothing but incredible things about him, right? Right? A man after God's own heart. Okay, this is the guy that he had the greatest morals and ethics. This is the guy that when he walked by, everybody was like, I want to be like that guy. Well, David over there, he's a good one. That's what I want to be like. Was that David? At times. At times. But also, what did David do? Oh, he messed up. Did David ever mess up, right? Boy, if, if we're ranking how bad a person would be, uh, I mean, having an affair, lying, having the other, the person that you had an affair with, having their husband killed, lying again, trying to cover it up, those would be kind of serious offenses, Right? I mean, we would look at that and we would go, ooh, ooh. I may not be good, but didn't do that. None, none of us would ever say that, though, right? I mean, none, none of us would ever. We wouldn't use that analogy. We wouldn't, we wouldn't try to place ourselves in those kinds of positions. David messed up. Hardcore. Scripture again records David, a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David, in his brokenness, always knew where to turn. There was always salvation. David knew where to go. David knew, I am a dirty, filthy sinner, but God. He knew that. He lived that. He experienced that. And God, as a result, says, David, a man after my own heart, yes, he messed up, but he knows where to go. Jimmy Crabb could learn a lesson in that. Instead of me always trying to fix things, to know where to go. But again, I know it here. Sometimes I say it here, but a lot of times I don't believe it here, right? We have to get to the point that we recognize I know where to go. I know I need Jesus. And there are some incredible Psalms, and we'll see some of them. They're not the ones that I'm referencing here, but we'll see some of the Psalms that are written, and David penned many of them, of some of the most heartfelt, sincere, genuine praises and prayers, and yet a very real 
humbling observation into the window of his soul, highs and lows. One moment he is a broken, filthy, disgusting wretch. The next minute he is saying, God created me and renew a steadfast. David was on this roller coaster, but he always knew where to go. Then we see that John comes into the picture in Acts chapter 13, and John announces the one. Look with me at verse 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. John recognizes and announces the coming of the king. John chapter 1, verse 29 If you've got your Bibles, flip over there really quick. John chapter 1, verse 29. John makes a very familiar statement to probably most of us, but I think it bears repeating this morning. We've we've gone through at the very beginning of John. John gives his kind of illustration of God coming and, and what that looks like. And then as John is going about his daily life, as he goes... John 1.29 says, The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. John makes this announcement as he recognizes who Jesus is. See, John, multiple times throughout his life, excuse me, I apologize, my allergies are getting to me this morning, John recognizes multiple times throughout his life that there are people that come to him and they want John to be the one. John, you are so great. You're charismatic. You're full of energy. You have this personality about you. You are great. Hey, John, did you know that there's this guy over there? He's baptizing people. He's he's doing what you're doing, John. He's trying to steal your glory. And what does John say? Why do you keep saying that I am he? It is not me. See, he's coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to bow down at this man's dirty feet and untie his sandals so that he can wash his feet. What is John's recognition? John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John has a full understanding of who Jesus is. He is the one. John makes this announcement. Jesus is here. There he is. Behold the Son of God. How awesome would it be if we got that excited about seeing Jesus? Right? How awesome would it be that when we're praying and we're pouring our hearts out to the Father over something, and then the Lord answers that prayer and we say thank you Jesus for providing for this but what do we do well I'm glad that worked out in anybody else or am I all by myself on that I mean boy you know I I sure am glad that uh that that really turned out to be okay that was close that could have been that could have been really bad for me we have an improper view of who Jesus is We far too often view Jesus as a genie in a bottle. When I'm desperate, I have no place else to turn. 
well, I'll try this. And yet so often God is faithful through that to bless us anyways. And in return, living like nothing happened. John announces the one, but then we see the unaccepting. Look with me, verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, filled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses. See, we see this incredible happening here of people that were just unwilling to accept who Jesus was, right? Jesus had come in and had not met their needs the way that they wanted. And because it wasn't the way that they wanted, they couldn't stand it. Now, pause with me for a moment and take a look at your own heart and life. How many times has God answered a prayer and we totally disregard that he answered that prayer because he answered it a way we didn't? I'm I'm ashamed to think about how often I'm guilty of that. I'm praying about this. I just haven't got a good answer from the Lord on this yet. Well, that's because the Lord answered a long time ago, and I don't like the answer that he's given me, so I'm just going to keep praying my way through this. See, for, for me, when I make those decisions, I just kind of pick myself up by the bootstraps every day, go to work, keep going on with my life, and as far as most people can tell, I'm the same old, same old. The difference in the story that we're seeing written and displayed for us here is that these people were so angry that they called out for the the physical human body of Jesus to be crucified. They hated him so bad that they didn't just want him run out of town or, or, or out of their hair, so to speak. They wanted him dead. And so they do, right? Even though they can't find any fault in him, they go through this whole process They hang him on a tree, and then after his physical body dies, they take him down and they lay him in a tomb. They think they've won. They think it's over. But God, but God, look at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Maybe we didn't hear that. But God raised him from the dead. I still don't think that we heard that. But God raised raised him from the dead. God said, you think that you've won, but my plan isn't finished yet. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now listen to me. I am as guilty of this as anybody because I know this story so well. Because I've grown up here in America and I've grown up in churches where pastors and Sunday school teachers and leaders in the church love Jesus and teach us the Bible. And so I hear and I know and I understand that the death had no power over Jesus, that it becomes old news to me, that God raised Jesus from the dead. He was dead. But God said, not yet. Uh Uh-uh. This isn't over. 
God raised him from the dead. And look at verse 31. He finishes this by saying, And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to his people. Because God knew when he was divinely inspiring Paul to pin this, he knew that there would be people that would doubt and would say, Is this real? Throughout Scripture, it's recorded how many thousands of people that Jesus encountered after he was resurrected from the grave. This is not just some happening. Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a miracle. And listen, your life and my life may have very different circumstances. Some in this room, you have experienced the low of the low. You've dealt with addictions. You've struggled with hardships. You know what it's like to be low. For me, my testimony is quite different than that. I've been incredibly blessed, and I recognize that that's a blessing from the Lord. I was a relatively good... I accepted Jesus. I really got serious about my walk with the Lord when I was 18. And I've had the opportunity to see Jesus do incredible things, not only here in the lives of people around me, but also around the world, because God has given me the opportunity to go. But my salvation experience is no more or no less valuable than your salvation experience. Salvation is a miracle of God. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he's still alive today. And as we progress through this, we begin to see this becomes good news, right? Look at verse 32. We bring you the good news that what God Promise to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He spoke in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. He gives us this example of over and over in Scripture, people saying, listen, it's not over. God's still at work. He's still here. But in my life, sometimes I struggle to believe that, right? What's easy for me to say? Woe is me. You know, this life didn't really work out the way that I thought it would. There's this situation that I'm dealing with, and Boy, God seems to care about everybody else in the world except for poor over here just mistreated by the world and everybody in it. Poor guy. And it's easy for me to have this pity party for myself. On the flip side of that, as we've talked about a lot through this, Chris is using the pendulum expression. On the flip side of that, I become very prideful. I haven't had this. Look at me. I've never had this struggle. Isn't that cool? Pat myself. See the difference in this? But what do we need? We need that perfect tension holding us in line with Scripture where we recognize, as David did, I am a wicked, wretched sinner, but God. But God. And because of that, I'm faced with a harsh reality. And the reality of it is this. Look in these last few verses. Look at verse 36. The reality is this. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died and was laid with his fathers. And he saw corruption. But whom God raised up did not see corruption. That would be Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything for which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And listen, listen to this. Verse 41. 
Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. Anybody ever seen this verse on a coffee cup? I have. Go, go browse Mardell's and see if there's a coffee cup that says that on it. Like, woo! I'm doing a work in you you wouldn't believe even if somebody came and told you. Yeah? Yeah? You know what that's a reference to? Habakkuk 1.5. Habakkuk 1.5 is where that's, a, where that's a quote, where that's taken from. You know what the story of Habakkuk is? Uh, impending judgment. Impending judgment. Wait for it. God's angry. Hang tight, folks. Because you're in for a ride you wouldn't believe even if I told you. Now go and scratch that off your coffee cup that you use tomorrow morning and move on with your life, right? Guys, guys, listen. This is the harsh reality of this is pretty plain and simple. If we don't repent of our sin, if we don't trust in Jesus, if we don't adhere to the gospel, that is the good news. There's a very real penalty for that. And the penalty for that is that one day this, this earthly body gives it up. This earthly body is, is dead and gone, as we say. But the reality is, is that in the moment that this body gives up and our soul stands before Almighty God, and we are standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can pull out a list of all of the good things that we've ever done. We can read off all of the money that we've given and the time that we donated and the things that we did and list after list after list after list after the pat myself on the back. I didn't. And if we've never repented of our sins, hold the part from me. For I never knew you. Go to a real place called hell. And I know that that's not fun to talk about. But for us to understand that the gospel is good news, we have to recognize that there's bad news. Bad news is this. There's one sin recorded in when the Holy Spirit of God calls us to salvation. We reject the call of the Holy Spirit. We reject, we refuse. We say, listen, I know that what I'm doing, and we know when we sin, right? We know when we're wrong. But when we say, my way is better, I got plenty of time. I'll deal with that later. Down the road, that will become when I'm retired, I'll deal with it. But it is appointed man wants to die. And after that, the judge. And we don't know if that's today, tomorrow. So for it to be good news, we have to recognize that there's bad news. That rejection of the Holy Spirit is eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. And what makes it that is the absence of God. God has removed himself from that place and said, uh-uh, there's your bed lie in it. But the good news, the gospel, the good news is this. Look with me really quickly. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. And I know we're, we're late. I apologize. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises of some count slowly, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re- Maybe we didn't. God is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowless, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Sorry, I'm not talking very loud today. We didn't hear that. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's will is not for people to die and go to hell. God's will is that people would reach out to him in a very real sense called repentance, saying, I recognize my sin is separating me from the holiness of God. 
And there's nothing on my own that I can do about it. But God. But God. This morning, I want us to take a moment. I'm going to pray in just a moment. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And here's what I want us to do. And I'm not one to try to to try to beg or call people to, to move forward and make a decision. This altar is always open. We, those of us that are familiar here, we know that. This altar is always open, and it's a great place for us to humble ourselves and come to a point of saying, I want to just come and kneel here before the Lord and get real and do business with the Lord. And there's something very powerful about that, right? That when we step out of our comfort zone, it's awkward to step forward and to come forward, but to come forward and to pray. But I'm not even asking you to do that this morning. If you feel led to do it, this altar is always open. I encourage you to do that. But here's what I want to encourage. If you're in this place this morning, and maybe the Holy Spirit of God is calling to you and saying, you you need to repent of your sins. You need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Stop fighting it. Stop fighting it. Know that the Lord is good. He's good. He's bigger, better, stronger, and greater. And maybe for some in this room, we know that we have that. Maybe we haven't really been praying for our lost friend. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And maybe what we need is to be really serious in our movement of saying, I'm going to use my word, people. I'm going to tell people what Jesus has done for me. I have no control over whether somebody gives their life to Jesus or not. None. Zilch, Zada has nothing to do with me. But maybe me telling them what Jesus has done in my life, a personal testimony, will be the encouragement that when the Holy Spirit of God is calling them, that they're willing to surrender to that because they recognize the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe today you need to pray that's lost that you know needs Jesus. This morning I want to encourage you to do that. Whatever it is that the Spirit leads us to do this morning, maybe it is literally just letting go and worshiping the Lord, recognizing the good news of the gospel and saying, Lord, I want to say thank you for that. I want to now express through my through my words and through my singing of this, of this song, I want to express my thanks. Whatever it is that God leads you, Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the good news, the gospel, the work that Jesus, you did on the cross. Yeah, far too often I am, I am guilty of minimizing that event. And I'm sorry, Lord, I, I want that to be as big and real and powerful as it is. So this morning I pray for myself and every person in this room, people that hear this, uh, via uh, the internet or whatever way that it goes forth, that, Lord, if there's somebody that, that needs to repent, your Holy Spirit would be the day that they would trust in you as their Lord and Savior. Repent of their sin. Jesus, for those in this place, and we are, we are captivated by the gospel already. We know you. Thank you, Lord, for that gift of salvation. I pray, God, that we would have the boldness to go forth and to share the gospel, the good news everybody that we in. Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory, we pray this in.